Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Roger Rapport. My name's Alex and I am over the moon to once again be announcing a Sunderland win on this podcast. Yesterday, the battleships of Wearside sunk the invaders from Devon as the lads dispatched Plymouth Argyle by two goals to nil. And joining me to revel in this victory is a motley crew of Johnny Goldsmith. How are you oh, doing, Johnny? All right, Alex. Did you, did you get to the game yesterday? I did, yes. That was great. Fantastic. Uh, obviously, as you know, we did speak to one of the players who scored yesterday. You did indeed, and I yeah. I feel like yeah. You know, what we need to do is we need to interview all the players. I think so, I yeah. Think interview Charlie White and he'll score a hat-trick next yeah. week. That's how it's going to be. Interview him three times and he'll yes. do that. Yes. The Johnny Goldsmith effect. <laughs> yeah, and he, as well as Johnny, we are also joined by former Sunderland midfielder Kieran Brady and also by the young Roker reporter and aspiring journalist, Master Finley Anderson. So we'll start with you, Kieran. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. In regards to the game yesterday... Very encouraging uh, performance that fully merited a two-goal victory. I think you could say that was applicable to the first half alone. Plymouth looked very intimidated, one of the very few sides that have looked as if the occasion got to them at the Stadium of Light, but that is not Sunderland's problem. They took care of business, and although it seemed quite tentative given they only scored the second goal late on, it was a thoroughly convincing performance. The first half, I thought, particularly, was one of the best I've seen all season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And we've also, as I say, we're also joined by Finley. How are you doing, Finley? I'm doing good, thanks. Good stuff. Did you get the game as well yesterday? Uh, yeah, I did. I was really impressed with the performance. Like, the three points was deserved just on the first half because we're just attacking, 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 and that's all mm. what we deserve. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, as I said, Sunderland beat Plymouth 2-0, a result that consolidates Sunderland's third-place spot in the League One table, with the teams around them also picking up three points. Jack Ross made just one change to the side, which beat Bristol Rovers, as Lewis Morgan came in for Duncan Watmore. His side got off to an excellent start, with a dominant first-half display being rewarded with a goal from none other than Lee Catamull, who gets his second-ever goal at the Sol just 12 days after his first. The second half was perhaps not quite as impressive as the lads' first, but they saw the game out nonetheless, thanks to a goal from captain George Honeyman, who, as Johnny said, he managed to interview, and obviously, you know, there's there's no... 
there's no such thing as correlation implying causation, but you know, you can't really yes. argue with that, can you? That all in all rounded off another professional and comprehensive performance. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the finer details, we asked the people on Twitter to summarise in three words their thoughts on yesterday's game. So Adam James Kane said, can't stop us. Mark McLaughlin says, sweet Luke 09. Macamino, good name, said, McGeady ruins defenders. Aidan Blitz-Mewers says, the Catamol show. John Watson says, getting there, lads. Paul Fletcher says, intentional what more assist. Paul Walton says, Lee Barry Catamol. Billy SEFC 2012 says, tune out, aye. Craig says, Lee Catamol testimonial. And Graham Field says, nice and professional. So... To start things off, I think, judging by that three-word review, Lee Catamol seems to be a common theme. He was outstanding again yesterday. So what did you make of his impact, Johnny? Very good. Um, that finish was incredible from a guy who's never scored you know, that many goals until this season where he's decided, actually, I can score goals now. Uh, I wouldn't say he was man of the match, uh, personally, but I mean, he certainly is a solid midfielder. I think he just done his job the right way. He did indeed. Yeah. What do you reckon, Kieran? Yeah, I know there was some concerns amongst the broad support whether Cattermole and Grant Ledbetter could could play along together. Some people felt that there was far too many similarities. Yeah. But they have been able to do it and they've been able to utilise the experience they have. And let's not forget that both have played at a much higher level for large parts of their career. And if Jack Ross can make sure that that happens consistently then it's very difficult to think of any central midfield pairings throughout League One that would be better. So, you know, you're hoping that they can use their experience now between now and the end of the season and hopefully it'll lead them to win a lot more games than they have perhaps since the turn of the year where, of course, draws have become such a prominent feature. But the signs are good at the moment. Mm, They certainly are. I think we said this as well last week, but a lot of people myself included, and as you say, weren't really expecting the the um, uh, the Catamol-led bitter sort of duo to really work. They're both holding midfielders that are very defensively oriented, so a lot of us just assumed that that just wouldn't work. It would be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Many people thinking Led bitter will be the starter and Catamol will maybe be, you know, be the second choice, mm-hmm. given the fact that his, his, you know, his quote-unquote legs have gone. It, 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 it's a funny one, really, but I thought yes, in yesterday's game that while they were both holding midfielders, they both had a lot of attributes that were different and complemented each other well. Certainly, and I think it would be useful to try and make sure you get the best out of that partnership between now and the end of the season because, of course, if promotion is secured, they're going to come up against a much higher standard of partnership and player next season. Mm-hmm. They themselves, as individuals, are going to be another year older. And... I think what has been very telling is that when people tend to judge players, they do tend to omit certain aspects of what they can bring. And what Grant Ledbetter has certainly brought is a brilliant consistency from set pieces. And although Sunderland haven't scored from every delivery, they've certainly looked much more threatening than they had been throughout the opening half of the season. And it might not always be spectacular, it might not always be as easy on the eye, but if Sunderland, through Baldwin, Flanagan, Dunn, etc., are scoring from Grant's Ledbetter's deliveries, then it all counts towards the same end. So there's certainly that difference between Catermole and Ledbetter, and hopefully it will continue for the next 10 games or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ledbetter's deliveries, as you say, have been a vital addition to the squad. It's made all the difference in the world. I think only about a month ago we were 
sort of ironically jeering when we got a corner mm-hmm. because we just sort of thought, oh, well, you know, it's a corner, it may as well be a goal kick, never going to score it. But we've just looked so much more dangerous from them now. And I think that is, in my opinion, 50% down to Ledbetter. I think mm. his deliveries are great, but also there's there's also the Jimmy Dunn getting into the box now. He looks like a real threat. He almost scored again yesterday. Yeah. What, have, what do you think so far, Finley? Do you think it's Ledbetter solely who's making the difference? Uh, yeah, I think the um, set pieces that Ledbetter has produced, especially yesterday as well, I was I saw in the box, the people that we had in the box, the um, tall players like Jimmy Dunn that you've mm-hmm. mentioned, Tom Flanagan, um, just the movement around the box, which Jack Rossano has worked on in the training ground, it's just working for them now. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, we, we have obviously big centre-backs already. You know, we wouldn't be doing as well as we did if our centre-backs weren't big players. Mm. But Jimmy Dunn especially is is head and shoulders above the rest. I think Baldwin and Flanagan, while they are while they are lanky fellas, uh, Dunn is, is bigger and he's a lot more mm. burly. And I think that plays a big part. Well, it, the, the most important thing with regards to a set-piece delivery from a wide area is desire. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if somebody's five foot four or six foot nine. If somebody wants it and wants it more than the defending team, then there's a very good chance they'll go on the end of it. Doesn't always mean that they'll score, but you only have to go back to England's preparedness in the World Cup in Russia last year to realise how beneficial set pieces can be. Mm-hmm. England were extremely fortuitous that in Kieran Trippier they had somebody that can deliver outstanding, consistent deliveries. And when you know where a ball's coming, you can then, of course, work around that. And England capitalised on it to great effect. And Grant Ledbetter, I wouldn't say is necessarily as good as Trippier, but is certainly providing the ammunition for people Mm -hmm. then to hopefully show how much they want it. Yeah. So would you say then, Kieran, that while good deliveries are good deliveries, it's that sheer sort of desire to score above all else it's, that counts ultimately. It, it, absolutely. It's a huge factor. It, you know, th- there's a reason why people at times who are five foot ten can quote unquote out jump somebody that's mm-hmm. six foot two. And it's not because they're bigger, they're stronger, it's because their desire mm-hmm. is much more prevalent yeah. at that time. And I'll tell you who was a great example of that yesterday, Luke O nine. There was one point where He'd got forward and he won the ball off, I think it was either one of the centre-backs or the full-backs. And whoever it was, was a big lad. But he just leapt like a salmon in the box. And he just, and, and as you say, he just totally outleaped him. And I think if there's ever a player to exemplify sheer desire yeah. to win a ball, it, it, it's, it's Luke O'Neill because Absolutely. Yeah. And then that brings me on to something else, really. I mean, on the whole, yesterday was a very solid performance. As I said, the first half was you know, was blatantly dominant and the second was perhaps a bit more subdued, but overall it was it was a very it was a very comprehensive two 0 where we just showed that we were the better team and Plymouth I think were quite clearly second best. But while we've we've spoke there about Catamore and Ledbitter, who else who played well yesterday for you? Johnny, what do you um, think? Aiden played well. Mm-hmm. Uh I think last couple of weeks he's well, that doesn't normally happen, does it? <laughs> no. Well I think the last couple of weeks he's been a lot more consistent and um, I've, I've always felt he's a frustrating player to watch because he's got talent and then he doesn't show it very often. I think the last few games he's uh, been a much more improved player for mm-hmm. me. I think it feels like, I don't know, maybe he's realised, oh, hang on a second, we might not go up. I've got to really put a shift in here. Mm-hmm. And he has done. I used to say I'm not a big fan of McGeady because I didn't used to really enjoy the the sort of um, inconsistency in his play. But, you know, he's he's proved me wrong. I'm happy, yeah. I'll, I'll admit, you know, he's he's done a good job. 
So I'd say McGeady was definitely one of the better players yesterday. Yeah, I think he put their, their full-back under a lot of pressure again, as he so often does with League One full-backs. With a player of McGeady's standard, you have to consider you know, that he's played at a much, much higher standard mm. Than, mm. Than, than, than League One. I mean, there are a few players in this team who have, obviously, you know, Oviedo, Catamore, Ledbitter. But with, with, um, with McGeady, it really does just show when, he, when he's on form, yeah. they really just can't handle them. What do you make of McGeady, Finley? Um, I've saw him in the last few games and I thought, he, like um, John, Johnny said, he's been another class. He's been like one of our best players like I've seen so far this season. Mm-hmm. And like his deliveries, we've just been talking about Ledbetter. For a normal player, his deliveries have been outstanding. We saw that for the second goal when Watmore took it down. And just like in the first half as well, it was well unlucky not to score on a few occasions. And then... When he had a shot himself, it was a good save from their keeper. Yeah, it was. That was the one from just outside the box, wasn't it? When yeah. Grigg took it down, and then rather than then turning with with bodies behind him, he, yeah, ro- he should have, ro- probably should have, should have turned. I think. Well, I, I, I think with the I think to be honest, if he had turned, he would have hit a wall with those. Mm. I mean, I mean, I'm 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 no natural striker myself, so perhaps if you yeah, if you yeah. if you're in the zone there, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I crack, I can't hit, I couldn't hit a barn door and five a side, you know. But I think maybe yeah. perhaps when you're in that when you're in that exact moment as a striker, you've got the instinct to think right. I can either play it out to McGeady or turn myself. And I think, you know, we've seen Grigg turn plays before, like, seamlessly, so maybe he thought then it's perhaps best to lay it off to McGeady, who's running mm. into space with momentum that he can put onto the ball. But but regardless, yeah, I mean, the, the point stands, Finley, that he was very unlucky not to score. And whenever he is on the ball, whether it's, you know, approaching a shot on the edge of the box or twisting his way past a fullback, you do just think that his balls are going to be clinical. You know, it's either going to be on target or it could easily be in. He's always got that in his locker, and I think there's teams in this division who are probably probably just absolutely terrified of, of playing him at any mm. given moment. Is there anyone that you guys think also had a good game? George had a good game. Yeah. There were a couple of occasions. You know, the majority of the game, I think he played very well. So most of the players played well. Um, I think Morgan didn't have the best games in terms of his delivery, although no. he did get in good positions. Mm-hmm. So he's getting in the right place. He just isn't doing <clears throat> what he needs with the ball. That, that was something that I would agree with with regards to Lewis Morgan. He seems to be very comfortable at gathering pace, uh, progressing 20 or 30 yards up the field. But if he does not improve his end product, then he's not going to ascend up to being a good player to a top-class player or even beyond that. Because ultimately, for somebody that plays on the wing, irrespective of how much showboating you do, irrespective of how many times you can beat a full-back, if that's not wedded with a final delivery and cross that is hopefully going to have somebody on the end of it, then in many ways it's futile. And sometimes it can be a little bit misleading in how you assess a winger. If they're cutting in and taking shots that just go by the post, sometimes it can lead people to think that they're actually a good player or a very good player. And one of the criticisms that's been levelled at Aiden for a significant part of his career is that his final ball has been poor. Mm -hmm. Or at times he takes one touch too many. And the one thing that strikes me with regards to Aiden certainly since the turn of the year, he looks to be enjoying his football. And when you have someone with that ability who is enjoying their game, then it becomes very easy for Jack Ross because ultimately the instructions he gives to somebody to like Aidan McGeady is just go out and play. Mm-hmm. Because if we give you that licence, if we give you that freedom to express yourself, then it's us that are going to benefit from it. Yeah. And I think the statistics are there to reinforce that since the turn of the year. 
Yeah, I think McGeady's probably the archetypal free player, isn't he? He's one of those who I think, yeah. you, as you say, you can just say to him, right, just go out there and do your thing. You know, you, you, I think he should be given as much license as possible. And one of the reasons for it is because for the large part of his career, his crossing has been very, very inconsistent. It's okay to point to the odd goal that comes from a cross, but when you consider percentages, then it becomes evident that for a large part of his career, there hasn't been enough converted goals. There hasn't been enough goals from him. But certainly since the the turn of the year, I think it's is it six goals and four assists or vice versa. It, it, uh, I think I think it's it's six goals and yeah, four I assists. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's that's exceptional. You know, it and, is. And when you're looking at somebody that plays as a winger or off the fo- the forward, you have to factor in assists because it's completely unfair to accept to expect them to have a one in two ratio of goals. You have to factor in the assists, so I'm sure Jack Ross will be delighted. Yeah, a wing is naturally never going to be in the position where they should be accountable for that many goals. But when when they're playing in the way they do, you should you should you should judge assists by the same merit as you judge goals because it, it, yeah. the contributions is still vital. You can you can then dissect the assists to see if it's coming from somebody's sublime individual qualities rather than just a simple pass that a lot of people could make. But the one of the things, if you go back to the goal against Accrington Stanley which was exceptionally well set up by Chris Maguire mm-hmm. Aidan showed great desire to get the ball from Chris Maguire who showed great awareness to cut mm-hmm. it across to him and those are the little things that tell you that somebody is enjoying their football Yeah. conversely when I was at the game against Wimbledon I watched Chris Maguire warming up as a substitute early in the second half and in that warm-up alone, I could see why Jack Ross has omitted him in recent times because he was displaying all the signs and symptoms of somebody who has perhaps benefited from the superstardom that's been afforded him by the Sunderland supporters. Right. And then, of course, when he managed to go on in the Accrington Stanley game, we saw the best of him. So, again... It's a significant responsibility on a management and coaching staff to try to make sure that they can get consistency out of the players that do have that ability to change a game very quickly or to be the match winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very well said. And on the subject of wingers, um, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about a little bit more, should I say, about Lewis Morgan, mm-hmm. who I think while his deliveries were a bit hot and cold. I mean, certainly you can beat his man, as you say, but if you can't get that delivery, it can be a bit futile. The, the deliveries weren't consistent. There was there were some that, that had some real venom to them and some that were just way wide of the mark. There was one in the first half that he just like hit into the stands. But that that being said, I think he does work a lot better as a starting winger with maybe that sheer pace of Watmore making him an, an ideal impact sub. It seems like Jack Ross was thinking along those lines. You know, Morgan played the first, I think, 65 minutes of the game. And then perhaps as the game was wearing on at that point, he brought on Watmore, who again has been has been brought up many times for having an infamously poor end product. But with the sheer energy he's got, even if you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how bad the end product can be at times, if you're running against fatigued League One standard fullbacks, you you're gonna get past them shooting and, yeah. and get something from it at some point. So what do you think, Finley? Do you think that approach is one that's working? Uh, yeah, because we saw for the Sunderland's first goal that um, Morgan won the ball back. Um, that desire to win the ball back is what we need. Like I know he, he, you said these crosses were inconsistent, mm-hmm. but when he has got the ball, he can. We know he can produce a good cross in the area, like we saw for the goal, and then Catamore scored. But then um, when Watmore came on, we, we saw 
because I think Plymouth defenders were becoming a bit tired coming on at the end of the match. So what what more coming on was good because like his pace is like what we need at the moment. Like getting at the League One defenders, then get like Greg coming in because um, to boost his confidence and like the other wingers at the back post. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think with the as we say with with the standard of these fullbacks. As, as I say, if you, if you can just run at them, then you, you can just get what you need from the game. And I think when you have an axis of, say, Watmore and, and Greg, who has a very good all-round play, and another winger who's got enough energy left in the tank nearby, if you keep that up as the game gets on, you are eventually going to get something. Even in the second half, where we weren't dominant, I think we still were able to keep enough pressure on them. And I think it goes without saying as well, but Plymouth's pressing was absolutely poor. Oh, sorry, Plymouth's response to our pressing, should I say, was absolutely mm. poor. I think when we, we've played a lot of teams this season who have set up to frustrate and have done that very well, there's a lot of teams we've played where they've sat back and they've been able to hold us off and maintain us quite well and then try and get us on the break. But Plymouth just really couldn't do it. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but every time we seem to go forward, they just seem to, to, to yeah. break it. One of the most obvious signs of the disorganisation within the ranks of the Plymouth side, certainly in the first half, was the gap between their midfielders and the centre-forward. And quite often, when it was going up towards him, although his hold-up play wasn't that great, even on the occasions it was, there was very little support. So Plymouth weren't even getting any opportunity to build up some momentum to take them forward. And then, of course, what that means is Sunderland managed to get the ball back. They can play it then out to James or out to the right-hand side and then build another attack. And, of course... If that becomes a pattern of play, then it becomes almost inevitable that a goal is going to come yeah. at some point. And Sunderland were well worth the lead at half time. It should have been more. Mm-hmm. And I suppose there would have been some fans a little bit apprehensive as the game was unfolding that could this be a game where they've dominated as much as they have, but we only have to go back to Oxford away and Scunthorpe away to see that late equalisers have happened of late but you know fortunately in this occasion the late goal actually came from Sunderland themselves so um, very very convincing performance yeah it was good to see us be able to see off a game as you say we've 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 had games where we've played teams that you know on paper they won't be brilliant but if we want if we don't do enough to put it to bed then they're going to get something out of it because there's always the potential there i think we've said before that it doesn't matter how well you can defend against opposition you know no one's immune from a screamer I remember when we played Scunthorpe, I think it was, and it was Adam Hamill equalised in the 87th minute uh-huh. with just like a lovely from with just a lovely effort from outside the box, and that mm. can just happen. Yeah, those can just come about. That almost happened, I think, with Plymouth. I'm sure there was a shot from when I was sitting. It looked like uh, one of the players just took a shot from distance and nearly scored, mm-hmm. and it just missed the post. I thought the keeper got touched, really. Apparently, he didn't. Um, it just went wide, and that was uh, you know that was a big uh, relief because I thought he went. I thought it was going to score. An absolute worldie, mm. um, and I think in some ways Plymouth are probably a little bit unlucky in the sense of like we were one nil up, should have been more. They had a chance that they should have scored. They'd hit the side net, like the yeah. goal. He wasn't getting a touch to it. That should have gone in. Was he not? Was this not the one? Um, was this the lad with like the the top knot who took the yeah. shot? I, I don't know his name. I forget his. They, they also Plymouth also had a penalty claim that yes. I've not seen on television, so I don't know if there was any substance mm. to it. I haven't seen it yet, but I mean, from from an um, instinct reaction, I thought we got away with it. To be honest, yeah, I yeah. couldn't really see from where I'm yeah. sat. Probably, did you see it, Finley? Uh, yeah, at first it looked like it hit the arm, but watching the bat many times, it looks like it just hits off the chest. 
But the re- I think the referee was in the ideal position to judge that call, so it, it was his decision in the end, and despite the Plymouth protest, I think yeah. Sunderland might have just got away with one. There's no VAR in League One. There's not, there's not, <laughs> thankfully not. But I think what is a little bit worrying, though, is even if, as you say, Finley does hit the chest and narrowly misses the arm, uh, League One so far, as far as we're aware, is a division of dubious refereeing. You know, if if you can if you can have balls be given for corners or be given or not be given for throw-ins when they go outside the touchline narrowly, then I think it's yeah, it's, reason, was... it's reasonable to assume that you could get a a, a penalty like, a penalty like that given against you, and that can suddenly turn the tide of the game. Yeah, there was one moment I think where for me it looked like the ball went out for a corner and then he gave a goal kick. Mm-hmm. It's like well, what what? Yeah, <laughs> looked like it went off or nine, then hit a player. And then we were expecting a corner and he's like, no, no, goal kick. It's like, wow, what? Yeah, there was you a know? spell of about 10 minutes where the linesman had an absolute shocker. Like mm. everything just seemed to just not go out yeah. even when it blatantly was. But no. Anyway, speaking of pressing, I'll bring us just back to that. Um, the absence of Chris Maguire, you know, our, our probably our best presser in that team, is something a lot of us were gutted about. And as I say, one of the best aspects of his game is that ability to just put the opposition under so much pressure while also making... You know the notion of running around the defenders with the ball not looking pointless. We don't have many players who can drop into the hole, move around, and hustle a backline in the same way that he can. But we did an immense job putting Plymouth under pressure yesterday. Can we possibly get by without him if we keep playing like we did today? Yesterday, sorry. Um, if we play the way we did yesterday, yes, mm-hmm. I think uh, the first half showing that even without him, um, we've done a very good job at uh, pressing. Yeah. Obviously, we didn't get enough more than we got one goal. But, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we've shown that we can. Let's just keep yeah. it up. I think if I was him, I'd probably be sat on the sidelines or wherever, watching that Plymouth defence just quiver every time you know someone got within three yards of them. He'd probably, he's probably just sat there just thinking, if I was on that pitch now, like I could have an absolute field day against this lot. Mm. Don't know what you guys think. Well, he was, but let's not forget that prior to coming on, as a sub against Accrington and of course the 18 minutes that he took part against Gillingham he had ample time to sit on the sidelines Mm. and I think a more important question is why Jack Ross felt it was most suitable for him to be sitting on the sidelines in fact if memory serves me right he only got a place on the bench in the Wimbledon game because somebody got injured immediately before kickoff. Um, so his ability isn't in question but I think sometimes when you say that about a player, it can actually lead you to believe that he's a lot, 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 lot better than you know what he is. And mm-hmm. of course, we can't disregard the fact that you know this is someone that has been affectionately entitled the king, who has never played at the highest level in the English league, and has only played a limited number of games in the championship. And of course, I think people then can deduce from that that there must be something in addition to the fact that he does seem to have this physical ability, but perhaps there isn't that positive mentality to go along with it. Yeah, um, I wouldn't have any concerns about him being out for the remainder of the season. I've went on record saying that I believe Sunderland have by far the strongest squad and strength and depth in League One. Mm-hmm. I, it's not something I would boast about. I would expect Sunderland to have it, but nevertheless... If you were to offer me now the opportunity between now and the end of the season of Barnsley, Portsmouth and Luting having four of the leading players injured between now and the end of the season, but also Sunderland having it, I would probably be inclined to accept it because I think Sunderland would be able to cope a mm-hmm. lot, lot better 
than mm. those other sides could. Um, but I still think Sunderland without Maguire are, you know, a, a genuine force at this level. Yeah, I think I personally am willing to concede that because Maguire got injured after what was for him one of his good spells, I'm probably viewing the whole situation in rose-tinted glasses for him. Well, I mean, you see, people are saying a good spell. It was 25 minutes against Accrington Stanley and 18 minutes against Gillingham. You know, it's it's less than a half of football. This was not a brilliant return to form, despite what people would say. And of course, I believe you that you are perhaps, like many others, looking at it through rose-tinted Maguire favourable glasses. But I think there should be an element of affection for him because of what he'd done in the opening stages mm -hmm. of the season. And it's completely understandable. He is the type of player that entertains but he was also producing a significant effectiveness in that period but obviously something has been felt by Jack Ross to be unsuitable inappropriate mm -hmm. call it what you will and of course he was gradually reintroduced um, so it's, it's very disappointing for him individually but I don't think it will have any meaningful effect on the team no no I don't think so I think as you say as you say Kieran the sheer squad depth of Sunderland Expect you know as as we should expect yeah. is better than the teams in this division in terms of quality and num and quality and the quantity, quantity. of the qu quality and quantity of the quality. You yeah. know, I think we're head and shoulders above. And as you say, that's how it should be. If we're in a position where we can spend four million on one striker when we're in League One, a division where I think the record signing was one point two million prior to this, mm -hmm. or something you know very very meagre compared to what is in the Championship and the Premier League. If we can do that, then then we should. We should have the squad we have, and we should be able to do this. I think mm. if if not, then it would it would look very very strange, really, to yeah. be in the position we are. And I think as we've proven so far, um, we do have the squad depth to do what we're doing. We've lost players like Josh Madger. We've lost players like Chris Maguire, who you know has had a lot of impact. Yeah, yeah. He has had some very promising parts of the season, you know, mm -hmm. despite some ones that maybe weren't as great in comparison. But Josh Madger is probably the, the most crucial. You know, your your your, your top scorer is gone. I think in many other for many other teams that could be a damning blow. We're seeing with Portsmouth the loss of key players has clearly affected them. Their form's dropped, but we're still knocking the goals in. If anything, we're knocking more goals in. Yeah. Josh Madger was 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 in and around the whole sort of one nil one one saga, mm. but here we are now beating Gillingham four two, beating Rovers and Plymouth two nil apiece. Clearly, we're not struggling. Mm. What do you make, Finley? Do you how important do you think our squad depth is? Um, I, I think it's very important. Although the fact fact we've seen that we can play with the, uh, the number of injuries that we've had like the start of the season and like the middle of the season just going into Christmas period we've had numbers of players out and we've managed to get through that mm -hmm. picking up points like when on that winning run and that unbeaten run through um October and November where we had a few players out and then we've just lost lost Josh Madger and now everyone's chipping in with the goals like We've got Tom Flanagan scoring, like Baldwin scoring against Blackpool and Dunn scoring against Oxford. So I think it's going to be crucial for everyone to play the part if we're going to get promotion. Yeah, yeah, and I dare say we've perhaps compensated for the loss of Madger by perhaps finding new ways to score goals. Mm. As we said earlier, uh, the, the introduction of Grant Ledbetter has given us a much better outlet from corners and the, the people like Jimmy Dunn and Flanagan and Baldwin are thriving from that. We're, we're knocking in so many more from, from set pieces now thanks to our lanky defenders. And obviously we've still got players 
at the club who have the capacity to get a goal a game if they have the possi- if, if if they have the opportunity. You know, the likes of Aidan McGeady. Mm. So I think it's all really coming on quite well. And as you say as well, Finley, we've lost a lot of players as the season's gone on to injury for for significant spells. Players like Brian Oviedo, George Honeyman, etc., Tom Flanagan, they would walk into many teams in this division. Mm. But we've managed to cope with them, with them not being in the team, and, and we've got on with it. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if, if the worst games you're going to have are one-all draws away to Oxford with only two losses all season, then you're really mm. in quite a good position. But anyway, I think now what I'll do is, is there's so many positives that we can bring from these games. But if I had to play devil's advocate and look for negatives from yesterday's game, then I personally would, first of all, run the risk of sounding quite ridiculous by saying this because, OK, we've kept two clean sheets, but I dare say the defence still doesn't look as convincing as it could. Yeah, I do feel, as I said earlier, I feel like we are fairly lucky that we didn't concede in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, that shot that I mentioned, nobody was near it. And the fact it just hit the side net and yeah. you know, we're very lucky it wasn't a more uh, mm-hmm. talented striker, I guess. Was he not offside as well? Uh, was the I don't know if he was at that one. Um, if he was, then uh, that's that's all right then. But, uh, you know, the whole penalty thing. Um, but clearly, I, I think we are shown that we're not very tight at the back still yeah I think we're just very fortunate that the Plymouth attackers aren't very mm-hmm. good <laughs> I think if you look back over the course of the season you would at least find a percentage of the supporters who would offer the view that John McLaughlin has been the player of the season mm-hmm. and that alone at least prompts the question as to how the defenders in front of him have been performing because I don't think there's any doubt that he's managed to secure some points for the club this season. Collectively, I would have great concerns about that group of defenders playing in the Championship. I think there would have to be significant surgery. There would have to be some relatively good expenditure in the summer months to ensure that you have that solid defensive base um, because although there's been clean sheets and although there's been a number of games where they've only conceded one, there have been a number of games where other sides have com- have created very, very good openings and chances. And thankfully, John McLaughlin has been on hand to save it, or of course, they may have missed them. So um, it's it's certainly something that needs addressing. This, you know, and certainly if they get promoted, but you know, I don't think oh, absolutely would be under any illusions. No, no, no. It. So yeah. like a game like, for instance, against uh, Plymouth, you know, that's one thing. But against a team like Barnsley, mm. uh, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure yeah. if we can handle that at the moment. I mean, they might be missing Kiefer Moore, but they've only just gone and beat Southend away 3-0 with 10 men. Yeah. Mm. You no, know, this is a good team. Yeah. And, obviously, and, they, but, and they scored all three goals with 10 men. Yeah, they did. You know, so it obviously shows that yeah. they have quality. It wasn't the case that they went maybe 2-0 up and then were comfortable and then got a man sent off. They had a man sent off almost from the get-go it was only I yeah. think I think it was about 20-30 minutes on the clock and then from there I think a lot of teams wouldn't at the, I mean, especially wouldn't go on to win but but crikey the absolute, the, the, yeah. they were still dominant they were they were head and shoulders above Southend I watched the whole game they, 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 were, they were best at everything so mm. I think obviously we'll get onto this a bit later but when we you know this, this is a good team and when you're in the championship you'll be playing against teams equal to or better than the standard of Barnsley and if you have those centre-backs at the club and they're the, the showing some of the, the nervy signs that they're showing now, mm. then I think you could be in for a few problems. Without a doubt. Yeah. When we played Accrington and Stanley, when, you know, they, once they started getting forward and once the, the crowd started to turn, 
you know, sky cameras on them and all that. I think they, were, they, they looked quite nervous. I think it could be perhaps that they're quite young, but they, they, they just looked very uncertain, Baldwin and Dunn at the time. Mm. And if you, it, it's, it seems to be for me when there's a lot of pressure on them, when teams are coming at them more relentlessly, Gillingham were the same. You know, Gillingham got two goals. Mm-hmm. Even though we did ultimately go on to win, they still got two goals, as did Stanley. It's teams that when they come at us look very dominant that they seem to be quite concerned and when you go when you get promoted if you get promoted you know touch wood you'll be playing a lot more games where you want on top all game because oh, you know so you're, the, you're, you're the yeah. newly promoted team so if you've got teams like Aston Villa Derby Nottingham Forest Ipswich well actually no Ipswich are pretty crap this season it won't be them you won't be playing them no 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 you probably, you probably won't yeah yeah no 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 bad example but you know insert uh, whoever's seventh in the championship next season when they're running at you with you know all all the all the usual boys, you know you 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 Cameron Jerome's and whatnot. Don't know if he's still going, yeah. but when you have got players like that coming out, you're going to be under a lot of pressure. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at two percent permanently. That's two percent on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. Two percent. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. What do you think, Finley? What do you make of our defensive situation at this um, moment in time? We saw the inconsistency with the um, defence in recent games. Like, Jack Ross has been changing it from, like, we saw in the Blackpool game, he played Baldwin and done, like, the Checker Trade Trophy games. Like they've changed the defence, which I can get there, but like it's not helping with like the inconsistency of the no. defence. So like um we've kept with Flanagan and Dunham, we've saw the impact with two clean treats now. And I I think he will stick with Flanagan and Dunn because um I think Baldwin's injured at the moment. I think he's got a little knock. Um, oh, I think um I think Ross actually said in I think it was the post match presser, I think he said it was selection choices entirely that kept Baldwin out. I think he's had a not in the recent games, but um, yeah, it's still the inconsistency with defenders. Mm-hmm. Like, if we want to be in automatic promotion places, when you have like a consistent defense, like there's no one throughout the league to keep clean sheets, and we're starting that with Flanagan and Dunn, which I've mentioned, like the two clean sheets against Bristol Rovers and Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Finley. I think what you've touched on there is a very um, valid point that if your issue with the back is uncertainty, if you were to keep changing a back two that were already uncertain to begin with, you're really just fighting fire with petrol. Mm. Uh, in my opinion, anyway. I think if if, if Baldwin, and if, if Dunn and whoever he's playing with, they, if they have difficulty communicating, if they look uncertain, if Dunn, especially a very young lad, is looking quite unsteady alongside whoever he's playing with, if you then swap the young lad he's with with another fairly young lad, mm. I, I don't really know what you're getting from that. I mean, your only real veteran centre-back on the books now is Glenn Lewins, and uh, goodness knows where he is. But yeah, I think I think it's an issue that we'll need to address, especially when we go up. But regardless, we'll have to sort it out. We'll have to we'll have to we'll have to perform some surgery, as you say, Kieran, in some shape or form, because you've you've got some crucial crunch games coming up. You've got Barnsley away, Portsmouth at home. Mm. You need three points from those if you want to go up, because you yeah. know all, all we're doing right now by winning is keeping the pace, which is worrying. Barnsley and Luton are very good sides, and. I'm just thankful for now that we've already played Luton twice, really, because... Well, that, I mean, that, of course, is encouraging, but I think having looked through Luton's remaining fixtures, they would be very confident yeah. that they will take a significant points return from the games that are still to be played. 
Barnsley against Sunderland on Tuesday week, of course, is a huge game. It could go a huge way to determining who gets that second automatic spot. Oh, yeah. If, of course, Luton managed to secure first. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a test of character. It's not just a test of character for the Sunderland side, it's a test of character for both teams, albeit the games at, at Oakwell. Um, but it's all to play for. And, you know, it's one of the great things for the fans this season is that they've been able to attend a lot of matches. They're enjoying coming to watch a team that's winning games, even, of course, recognising the fact that it's not at the highest standard. But, of course, you know, you're hoping that that's set against a backdrop of a club that is changing its ethos mm-hmm. because it's absolutely essential for it to do it because absolutely I, I, I still am unconvinced that they are you know they're obviously winning a lot of matches but I think when you get a new injection of personnel and we've had that from the boardroom to the dugout to playing personnel then there is a honeymoon period that comes from it and that of course is compounded by the fact that you're playing against teams that aren't of a particularly high standard. So the acid test for me with regards to Stuart, Charlie and perhaps the financial benefits that may come from Juan Sartori will be very, very tested this summer and possibly in the January window. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. So I think what we'll do now is, is we'll move on from the Plymouth game and we'll look ahead to now to Tuesday's semi-final clash away again to Bristol Rovers. So we win that game and obviously we're going to Wembley. You know, it's not the biggest tournament in the world, especially not the biggest one we've been to at Wembley in recent times, but it's a cup final nonetheless and I would love for us to be there. In fact, my dad actually is preemptively, you know, again, big touchwood moment, is preemptively booked us a hotel at Wembley. So obviously, (laughs) yeah, I know, I know. So so there's a man who's followed Sunderland for about 45 years now and hasn't clearly foreseen the, the possibility that we'll do a typical Sunderland, regardless of who's in charge, and we'll lose 3-1. Because, you know, that, 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 that's the club we support. That's what um, they do. I, I, last time we went to Wembley, I didn't get the chance to go. So I'm really hoping that um, they do it so I can actually get there this time. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, on that topic, we, um, we took to Twitter to um, uh, see what the Mac and Faithful make of the possible moral dilemma that Jack Russell have when he picks his team for these last two games. So in our quick question feature, we basically ask on Twitter um, a, a question relevant to what's happening at the moment with Sunderland, and we will take some of the more interesting answers from people just in the comments, and then we'll talk about them here. So what I want to talk about for today is the case of Robin Reuter and Ali Merzturk in relation to the Checker Trade finals, well, the, the Checker Trade semi-final and final. So they aren't our first choices in goal and at centre-back. I think that's pretty abundantly clear. But they've got us this far in the EFL trophy. So we asked the people on Twitter, do they deserve to retain their spots for the semi and hopefully for the final? So we'll start with the yes camp first. We'll see what the people are saying. So Richie Martin says yes. Neither of them have put a foot wrong throughout the whole competition. Andrew Tonge says yes, neither has done anything wrong. It sends the wrong message to the players if they're dropped in his opinion and they could still have a big part to play in the run if we have injuries. And there's also a man called D-Love Enthusiast, which is my my favourite name of the bunch that we've picked out today. And he says... Yes, um, Ersturk has improved massively since the opening day in the Cup games and our defence hasn't been perfect in the last few weeks, so he plays, I reckon. As for Reuter, it's a tough choice, but I feel like he could do a job there, join the club at a bad time and is underrated. So what do we think in general of Reuter and Ersturk? Well, I've not been particularly impressed with either. No? I, I know that Reuter's 
opportunities this season have been restricted, not least because of the performances of John McLaughlin. I had seen Ozturk in a number of games performing for Hearts in recent years and I wasn't that that impressed with him. I do take the point that he may have shown up a lot, lot better in the mm-hmm. Checker Trade games. But I think with regards to picking the team to play in Bristol on Tuesday night, particularly with reference to the goalkeeping dilemma, if you go back to the game against Bristol Rovers eight days ago and you examine the attempts at goal that Bristol Rovers had, you might find then that John McLaughlin was only asked to save three attempts on goal or five attempts, whatever it was. Now, if you come to the conclusion that Robin Reuter would have saved all three of those or all five of those, then I think you would have much greater confidence in actually selecting him. Of mm-hmm. course, he's not going to face the same shots, but at least you would have the confidence that, well, if this is the best that Bristol Rovers can offer, I believe that our goalkeeper would save them. You, you know, our, our second choice goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. And that allied with the fact that he has been the checker trade goalkeeper, you know, for the most part, or, you know, for all of the matches then. Jack Ross might feel obliged. A lot of it is to do with what Jack Ross may have said to people like Ola Mozturk and Robin Reuter at the beginning of the campaign. If he had said then, look, I can give you an assurance that you will feature in every game until such time as we are either knocked out of this tournament or we appear at Wembley, then you would like to think that he would be true to his word. Because yeah. if, if he's not true to his word and he does pick John McLaughlin, and he does go with two of the centre-backs that perform week in, week out in the league, it can have negative implications for the rest of the squad, not just the players that are directly affected. So mm-hmm. if he said to those players, you will be first choice in the Checker Trade Trophy, then you would like to think that it will, that will continue. Yes, and that would that would definitely be the case. I think that the knock-on effect would go far beyond... I mean, obviously, this is all hypothetical. We don't know for certain that Jack Ross has made such a promise to Reuter and Ersturk. We don't know, that, but, but, but he easily could. I, I, I know it, it, it's, a, it's a possibility, and, and let's say it was, and as we say as well, hypothetically, he then drops Reuter and Ersturk for, let's say, Baldwin and McLaughlin. You can still lose. Oh, absolutely, but oh. but the, the the point the point there is that not only does it show that he's willing to break a promise. Mm. Well, well, no, but that's it, really. You know, not only does it does it hurt their morale, but it shows that he would be willing to to break a promise. Mm. So I'd like to think that if if such a hypothetical promise was made, that he would stand by it. But that's just what it is. Uh, another thing as well, I found interesting about um uh, about D Love enthusiasts' answer is um that um our defence hasn't been perfect the past few weeks. Was it the direct quote? In his comment, do you think that could be a factor as well? Could that be, could that be something as well of of a win win? Maybe if our defence hasn't been brilliant, is it worth playing Ersturk regardless? Is it is it if nothing else just a chance to maybe try out someone else alongside Dunn or whatever? Possibly. I mean, I think you know we've had two wins on the bounce, and mm-hmm. maybe we didn't expect to get this far in this tournament. No, um, yeah. maybe thinking, well, we're nearly at Wembley and. I don't know. Do you want to stick with the team that's been winning in the league? Because we've already beat Bristol Rovers uh, twice this season. Mm-hmm. We've already beat them down their place last week with the team that we're using in the league. Um, is it worth going back with that team? Yeah. Um, it's a difficult one to answer because yeah, like, it, it, w- it, it would offend, possibly it could offend Ozturk if he doesn't get picked when he's been picked all this time. But like, we're on a, win- we're on a winning streak at the moment, you know? I tell you, it's, it would be a lot better to drop either of them or both of them for this game, then let them take part 
being a successful Sunderland side that negotiates a path beyond the semi-final and then get dropped for Wembley. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I would, you know, I would like to think that if, certainly if Jack Ross has given them, given them a shoot, I don't know if it's just those two players or indeed others, but mm-hmm. they will be. Yeah, those those are the main two. If I'm not mistaken, Reuter and Ersturk have played in every checker trade game so far. Mm-hmm. There are other fringe players, players like McGeoch, who obviously are featuring in that trophy and haven't featured as much in the league, but. Those are the two primary fringe players. I think McGeoch's yeah. very unlucky to be out the squad, but Reuter and Ersturk are, are, are comfortable sideline players with the I other mean, players th- ahead of them. This isn't the first time that we're discussing a dilemma of this particular nature because a lot of Premier League clubs, albeit they don't take part in the Checker Trade Trophy, when they play in the League Cup or even the FA Cup, mm-hmm. decisions are taken prior to the commencement of those tournaments that a goalkeeper, for example, will play in those tournaments until such time as, as you know they're knocked out so um, and did Jack Ross not make I wouldn't call it disparaging remarks about the Checker Trade Trophy at the beginning of the season but did he not more or less suggest that it's perhaps a distraction that he could do without yeah but of course that changes entirely when you're one game mm-hmm. away from yeah. Wembley and all that that entails mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they've maybe been a little bit fortuitous with the draw at times, you know, but, you know, what Sunderland have done is, you know, they've managed to negotiate a path beyond each round and, Uh you know, they're now one game away. And as you said, Alex, a trip to Wembley will see a mass exodus from Sunderland and surrounding areas (laughs) in perspective because, you know, if the fans get the chance to see the team bringing even what might be regarded as an inferior glory they mm-hmm. will be there and they will be there in huge numbers. Yeah, I think that's just it. I think a cup final is a cup final. Mm-hmm. And I've got every faith in our fans that they will sell out our allocation in Wembley. I, I, I don't know oh, about Port. Yeah. With a, I mean, I said before that if professional football ever became interplanetary, you would find that the number one search on Google between Southwick and Shiny Row was how do I get to Neptune? <laughs> because I know that the Sunderland supporters would go there in not only in huge numbers, but they would find every last piece of disposable income they have at their disposal. In fact, they would find the indisposable income mm-hmm. in order to go and follow their side because yeah. their, their their devotion to their club is immeasurable. You're not even you're not you're not even wrong in any sense of the word there. If if we had an away game on a gas giant would find a way to, to, to see it out. Yeah, that, that, that's that's just the way Sunderland fans do it. Honestly, a, a, a tra- a, traveling fans, the, the traveling fans we have are, are, are you, you will struggle massively yeah. to find a second, better contingent. Sec- they are second to none. Absolutely. So we've got a couple more here from the Yes Camp that take a slightly different tack on the ones we've already discussed. So Dave Pick, and he says yes. They have performed at a good level to get us this far and should retain their position. League is a massive focus and players like McLaughlin and Dunn slash Flanagan can ill afford any injuries. And Colin Burden also says yes, saying that they have done well in the rest of the games they have played in. Also, getting promotion is our priority, so we need to try and keep the same squad for the league games. So is this perhaps a win-win that they're hitting at? Is it perhaps good on one hand to reward Ozturk and Reuter for the efforts while also saving your players like McLaughlin, um, Dunn and Flanagan for, for the league games which mm. I think we would probably agree while a day out of Wembley is great I'd rather have the promotion well, <laughs> I mean th- there's nuances that make the two situations different John McLaughlin is only going to be omitted 
from Sunderland's side in terms of league games if he's mm-hmm. injured. Mm-hmm. There is the possibility that Ozturk could return to the side because of the loss of form mm-hmm. of you know like a Flanagan or a Baldwin or a Dunn, etc. Um, but it's important that Jack Ross feels confident mm-hmm. that if either has to be introduced to the league side, as it were, that they've got at least so, some sort of match practice, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're up to speed to a certain degree. So, um, and you know, there's there's benefit. If Sunderland do get beat on Tuesday night in Bristol, I've got no doubt that the common theme coming from supporters will be, well, at least now we can focus exclusively on what's needed for the remaining yeah. matches. There'll I be the disappointment that they're missing out in Wembley, but... It's um, mm-hmm. promotion. Promotion. Don't you know? Promotion is number one. Absolutely, without a shadow mm-hmm. of a doubt. Yeah, it's number one. A check a trade trophy is nice. It, it's a nice thing to have. And Appa- apparently, it's yeah. a very nice trophy. Uh, yeah, no, I've I've seen it. I, know, like, a, aesthetically, itself. yeah, it's a very yeah. very nice trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if nothing else does that, but ultimately, if you were going to offer me uh, second place in League One or the check a trade trophy. It's. I think it's quite. Yeah. It's quite profoundly obvious that I'm going for second place. Absolutely. That that's what it is. So I've not really heard much from you so far on this, Finley. What do you make in general about that question? Do you perhaps put sentiment above all else? Do you think Wright and Erstow should retain their spots if just because they've got us this far and deserve to see it out, or would you play your stronger side? Nevertheless, if we do play out a weakened side with Reiter and Ozturk, it'll still be a strong side. Like we've been talking about the squad depth earlier on. I agree. We'll still have like the likes of McGeoch, maybe Gooch, Stott and Wyke. Although he hasn't been um, scoring, he might be able to get a chance in the Cheshire Trophy. But I know you've just been talking about that. If we get to the final, I think it would be a deal for the fans. And if he can, if he thinks he can get to the squad depth, that he has, I'll play the week inside if he thinks he can get the Wembley with the squad. But if he really wants to get a Wembley that much and he doesn't feel like in take the week inside, I'll just play the stronger stronger side. Mm. But if not, play the week inside because of the games we've got coming up, like the Wickham game, Barnsley and Wall. So it's another tricky period for us. And then we'll go into the um another tricky period in April when we play at Rating, that um game in hand. Yeah, when it eventually gets rearranged um, after yeah. after about five different cancellations, but yeah, no, I think I think again there, I think what you've made there is a very good point about right your nurse Turk still playing because even though it's a weakened team, I still think it's a strong team. I think for for the standard we're at, I think Robin Reuter would probably get into most League One teams as yeah. a number one goalkeeper. I think. I think mm-hmm. I've seen quite a few dodgy keepers this season. And I think Alan Merstok's the same with the centre back. I've seen three last season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh, oh dear. One of which plays in the Premier League now somehow. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, I, I think, you know, I'll tell you what, we once had Simon O'Rourke on here and he said that the world needs third choice goalkeepers in the Premier League. Just look at people like Richard Wright, you know, at like Man City who was just sort of there. Oh. Yeah, there and just like, just like that's a nice job if you can get. It. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's like Steve Harper when he was here. Steve Harper, yeah, yeah. Steve, I mean, and at Newcastle, and at really. Newcastle, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> say Steve Harper was that everywhere. I but. mean, he was he was a professional foot. Steve is a professional footballer for I think about twenty one years, and he had about hundred appearances. Yeah, and I mean, it's <laughs> incredible, but that's you know, it's good luck to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, uh, even if you're not playing you know you, you've, you've done pretty well in terms of like you know financial decisions in your life to, yeah. to, to do what you've done crikey uh-huh. yeah it was really good but anyway let's move on to the no camp let's move on to the ones the people who perhaps um, the no uh, camp is that where we're going to be playing in a few years haha <laughs> 
if we're going to Europe Johnny I'll tell you what's going to happen right bit of a tangent here this is I've already foreseen this we're going to lose in the final of an FA Cup sometime in the future after a, after a very jammy run we'll get in the Europe we'll get in the Europe and then we'll have our first round and we'll get knocked out by the third best team in Azerbaijan that'll happen that sounds about right <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's how I would envision Sunderland's prospects in Europe in any in any sort of like real dimension, like all in. the away fans, the, the, we'll start at the away end over there as well. Oh yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or oh, we'll we'll go straight to um uh, to Baku, Baku. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll go straight to um I don't know what they're called, uh, Torpedo Baku. Let let's say they call that. We'll go straight there, and that that seven hundred allocation will be bouncing with yeah. Sunderland fans two, as we draw one one. Two o'clock in the afternoon kick off. Absolutely, <laughs> because yeah. of the time. Difference. Azerbaijan time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Mm. That'd be wonderful, and they'll, they'll all be there. I'll be there as we score an own goal from um, uh, one of their one of their Azerbaijani fullbacks. But mm. hey, you know it is what it is. But anyway, back 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 to the no camp. Um, let's see the opinions from the people who who um, uh, shelve sentiment in favour of just playing a stronger team. So Jamie Davison says no. Now we're this close to Wembley. We we need to make sure we get our strongest eleven. Martin Walker says no. We should play the strongest team so we can at this stage. Sorry. I saw that again, Martin. I do apologise. No, we should play the strongest team we can at this stage of the to- of the competition. It's harsh but common. We made changes in the early rounds of the 2014 League Cup and still picked the best team five years ago today. And there's also James O. Oh, I do hope I get the surname right. James O. Rafferty, who says no. There's no room for sentiment, or rather, sorry, he swears towards no, saying that there's no room for sentiment in professional football. Look at Man City lineups throughout the League Cup in comparison to the one that played against Chelsea at Wembley last week. They have done nothing wrong, but sentiment can't be had at the risk of a trophy. So we'll go to you first, Johnny. What do you make of that? As I say, um, I'm, I'm, I think we should stick by the, the, the strongest team that we... I would go by the strongest team that we've got at the moment, and mm-hmm. I, 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 do, I do think that uh, maybe t- running the risk of dropping these players, and they'll wonder why they're being dropped. I just think, like, well, in football, you have to be ruthless sometimes, you and uh, mm-hmm. you know, a guarantee of like, if we, I don't know, I was going to say if they, if we get through, then you can put them back in for the final. But then it's like, well, that's kind of a way your decision. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel maybe at this stage he's got so far with these guys, maybe he should have stick with what he's done. Because it's worked so far, and uh, just to keep everybody happy, mm-hmm. keep the same team. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that, and I understand the points that have been made by supporters who are saying perhaps as progress has been made in an individual competition, you should pick a stronger team, or certainly pick a team that you believe can beat whoever the opponents are. There is a difference, though, if he has given assurances to individual players that they will feature then there are potential ramifications if he's seen to or perceived to have broken that promise or that assurance to those players. Um, and I know I know all, people always say, particularly when teams are successful, that there's a wonderful unity in the camp. You know, there's never ever a universal unity in any camp. Footballers want to play and a lot of the players who are not playing regularly will not be thinking that this is a wonderfully unified camp. They will be wanting to play and feeling that their attributes aren't being fairly assessed. So if Jack Ross says to, you know, whatever players, you know, you're going to feature in the League Cup or you're going to feature in this cup, or he might have actually says to Ozturk and Reuter, you're going to feature in this game. 
and then as the next games came up, you're going to feature in this game. And then, of course, it might not be the case that in terms of Bristol Rovers away, or of course, if they get to Wembley, that you know that. And the other thing you have to consider is, as much as it shouldn't happen, if Sunderland get to Wembley and there are marketing opportunities to be had from winning the Checker Trade Trophy, it wouldn't be surprising to me if there's not influential arguments coming from the corridors of power at the Stadium of Light that he should pick his strongest team. Oh yeah, that that thing that that's that's a that's a very yeah. very um, a good point. You you know because There's a big aspect of that I think absolutely because as Sunderland became a Championship club and then of course became a League One club, there's a huge change in the percentages in terms of the income that oh, is generated yeah. by yep. the club. Mm-hmm. As a League One club, Sunderland's income is largely generated by what comes from the supporters. In the Premier League, because of what you receive from television rights, it's hugely influenced by what you get from Sky, BT, etc. So I've got no doubt that Stuart, Charlie, Juan and others involved at the highest echelons of the club. Connor Bromley. Connor, a major Connor. player. Yeah, he's a major... You need a, your strongest team, Jack. Um, I've got no doubt they'll be thinking and and even you know we might not be talking about millions of pounds but the club are trying to cut their financial cloth accordingly at this Mm -hmm. moment and if they can maximise income and generate revenue from any stream then they would be foolish not to look at what the potential financial benefits are Mm -hmm. from being the Checker Trade Trophy champions I, I would much rather they do that and I wouldn't be cynical about it than then be considering the prospect of some open top bus if Sunderland returned from Wembley as champions. Oh, of the that'd trophy. be great! That I would love that. Me, George Honeyman holding the trophy on an open top bus. Oh, I, I, please God, it does not happen. Um, <laughs> I'm completely against it. Yes, yeah, so I remember Roy Keane being like that when uh, we won the um, championship. There was no celebrations at all. No, I was like, no, because that's where we should be. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see the the, the players celebrating mm-hmm. they're perfectly entitled to I'd love to see the fans celebrating mm-hmm. because they deserve it but I wouldn't want this perception to be created that Sunderland Football Club see winning a Checker Trade trophy <laughs> as a sign that would justify public celebration yeah it simply it, it does not send out the wrong it does not send out the right signals no. to people in the football and fraternity, both here nationally and globally. It's not a big enough trophy ultimately no, to, to no. warrant that. I mean, I, I want I want to see some kind of extremely banterous celebration, but I feel like I'm just I'm too much of a sensationalist bugger to um, uh, justify I, I dare that. Say even the League One trophy isn't really a big one. It's promotion at the Premier League, perhaps, but I don't know about. Hey, it, um, it, it, it's tricky. You, you have to draw a line somewhere, but I think the Checker Trade Trophy is well beyond the line that distinguishes as an open top bus being justified from it not being justified yeah. I think it's a very tricky one but you know I want to see something I, I, at the very least I want to see Ali Merstoke Hoy and Blue point around in Indy I tell you what you could do Alex I can't think offhand but if you go over the teams that have won the Checker Trade Trophy or its predecessors over the course of the last 20 to 30 years then you'll find a significant number of clubs have won that particular trophy who as a club in terms of being compared to Sunderland, are nowhere near comparable 
and yet I bet they've not actually had an open top bus through their respective town no. or city. So why would Sunderland yeah. consider the prospect? Yeah, there'll have to be some background check there. Perhaps it'll come to the conclusion that, hey, look, if Yeovil Town didn't do it in, in 2012, then Sunderland don't well, do you, it now. You know, Yeovil Town might have done it, but then the following year, I don't know who won it the following year. You know, they might not have yeah. done it. Um, and I, I know things like this, have, they're much more conducive to a one-team city like Sunderland, because you can carry this out without any antipathy or vitriol coming from rival supporters. Mm. But nevertheless, for me, it would just send out the wrong, the wrong signs. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think we're probably going to all be in agreement with that. I think it, it it's too much. I think mm. to to go off to getting, go, a, bit, getting yeah. a bit ahead of yourselves. You know. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the, this if, I mean, this assumes that we're actually going to get to the final. Yeah, you know. Of you know, was as I, as I said to me dad when he when he booked the um, the hotel at Wembley. You know, you, you have to see that you know we are Sunderland fans, and it's a very Sunderland fan thing to experience well, a three-one loss to a very terrible Bristol Rovers team that you've just they, played. They, Sunderland mm. at the end of the 2013-2014 season, I believe it was, mm-hmm. or perhaps the season after. Sunderland brought out a DVD. I think it was entitled "The Great Escape." Yep, which I have that effectively a celebrated uh, avoiding relegation that for me you know if you're a player who has the opportunity to come to Sunderland you find out about it and then you go and research into the club its ethos its standards its aspirations and you find a club that releases DVDs that celebrate Mm -hmm. avoiding relegation and you believe that you are a genuine top quality footballer I mean that that for me was inanity do, doing that. It mm-hmm. really was. And I, I know you might make more. And ironically enough, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this, when I spoke to Sunderland fans about this, they were candid enough to say, "And do you know what, Kieran, it's because they know mugs like me will go out and buy it." <laughs> you know, which, hey, I, hey, I'm one of those mugs. You know, I was and, like, you know what, I want that team. You know, I'm not yeah. using that term, but. I suppose you would say it was good business acumen from people like Ellis Short and his minions mm-hmm. because they were fully aware that this is something oh, yeah. they could sell. Oh, yeah. That, well, I mean, it, it's, yeah, as you say, when you step back, it's pretty small time where the people are going to lap it up. But yeah, anyway, that's one of those things. So we'll just um, we'll, we'll just steer away now from the quick questions and we'll go into our sort of interview-esque segments with them, um, uh, Kieran and Finley. They won't be too long as they normally are, but we still have some very... Um, uh, pressing questions nonetheless that we want to get out but mm-hmm. we have one last one last um, yes or no question but it's actually neither a yes or no it's just from Graham who runs the extra podcast and he says always play Ozturk in all caps I love Ali Merzturk so congratulations Graham you have won this week's quick question segment your all expenses paid trip to the Cayman Islands will be with you via email shortly well done that is correct we must always play Ali Merzturk could never agree more. So let's move on to our questions now with Kieran and Finley. So we'll start with you, Finley. Now you're a young budding reporter. You write regular columns not only for Roker Report but also in the Junior Black Cats column of the Matchday Program. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Are there any other journalistic feats or any other things you also do to promote your portfolio? Uh, yes. Sometimes I've done assemblies in my school, like promoting like career stuff and like how you do, like getting like a like interviews and like your certain subject that you want to get into and like how to get career opportunities like um it was for all of the year groups um so like they get it because they're like new so that they can get like the careers that we're doing our school all right good stuff 
Oh, fantastic. So what inspired you to get into football writing? And what, what was the moment or the time in your life when you thought, yeah, I want to be a journalist and I want to get this ball rolling as soon as I can? It was when I got um, tickets for me old head teacher in my junior school. At, I think I was like seven or eight at the time. Um, I think it was. I think we got beat that game. Um, well, probably would have got beat. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's a few years ago and win the Premier League, then yeah, you, you, I'd, I'd put my money on it being a loss. Um, and just like as a thank you, I just wrote me head teacher a, a report, and ever since then I've just enjoyed doing it. Like I started off doing like the home games, then I got like into doing the away games, yeah, like all of it, and then like it's just progressed from there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really good to hear, Finley. And to be honest, it's something I can relate to myself. When I was when I was um, uh, in secondary school myself, I, pr- I presume it's secondary school you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I when I was in secondary school, I used to write like articles in like my school newsletter, and that would then that sort of like evolved into writing in sort of in like in like a football context, and then that became doing fan posts on websites and writing for for, for sort of like smaller sort of pieces, and then from there it, be- it becomes Roker Report and and so on and so forth. So. I think it, it's it's really it's really good to hear that you're doing that. I mean, it's I mean, would you advise sort of like young lads your age to get into running as soon as they can and just to get that ball rolling from the get go? Uh, yeah, because like I've noticed like what I've done so far, like it's a good experience, like getting to know like the subject that you want to get into this early because then you have like the chance to know like all the different aspects like I've done, and then like you can see which one you prefer, and then like you can go into mm-hmm. greater depth of that, and then. Yeah choose that like as your career path mm. I think that's it I think if if you do, if you go into writing from the get-go I think once you start writing you can then find out pretty quickly what your style is and what maybe field that relates to you know there's political journalism socio-economic sport which obviously you know you're, you're obviously very much into yeah. so yeah I think that's really sound advice Finley so just one more question what do you think your aspirations are to the future do you have a particular field of sports journalism that you would want to go into? Um, I've done like loads of different sports journalism, like the writing for like newspapers and art and like fanzines, like the Rooker Report, mm-hmm. and um, like video journalism. When I've done the interview with Jack Ross in October and like the Junior Reporter deal last season, mm-hmm. like different aspects, and like I've been on the radio a few times, like that's different aspects. But um, I think my favourite one is like um, writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's probably the one that you've contributed to yeah. the most often, haven't you? Really, as you say, you've got those two regular columns on the go. So, I mean, that that's going to be one heck of a portfolio. I mean, for a CV, yeah. um, uh, I bet it's already looking pretty good. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, like I have my careers teacher who recently um organised for us to go to Sky Studios, and wow. it was a brilliant experience. Like meeting all different people, like oh, I heard Jeff about this, yeah. as well. Um, it was a great experience, like going all around the studios mm. and how like it works there. Yeah. So what was it like meeting Jeff Stelling when he spoke? Did he slow down and speed up his voice and then end with emphasis during normal conversation? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he was just like really impressed with my match reports and like wow. he was he just gave us a bit of advice on like stick with your career path pathway and then. Um, mm keep doing your best yeah and I, I echo that completely Finley I think you're doing an excellent job so far mm. and honestly more power to you lad because it's it's coming off for you really well absolutely I mean even today on the podcast you know your contributions have all been excellent so you know I, I can speak for anyone and when I say that you know best of luck keep that ball rolling thanks so we'll move up you're very welcome mate so we'll, we'll move on to um, uh, Kieran now we'll move on to you so we've got a few questions for you and I believe Johnny has one mm-hmm. so I think I'll just, I'll just start off and then if you just want to jump in Johnny yep, when, when you when you feel the time's right so you played as a midfielder obviously for Sunderland in both the old division 1 and the old division 2 what was your most outstanding memory during your time at Roker Park 
Um, oh, I think there would be two if time allows. I think at a very personal level in terms of playing the game against West Ham, which I've been very fortunate, was so well received by the Sunderland fans, both who were in attendance and those who were aware of it. Afterwards, we won 4-3. I was only 18. It was my first goal for the club. I had two assists and generally played well mm-hmm. throughout. It was a critical period of the season insofar as we went on a winning run then, which allowed us to eventually get promoted, albeit it was somewhat fortuitous because of Swindon's financial indiscretions. Mm-hmm. But there was another moment that I suppose illuminated just how loyal and devoted the Sunderland fans are. We were relegated away to Manchester City in 1991 and we were due to fly to Ibiza that night from Manchester Airport. Right. And about half an hour after the game had finished, the Manchester City stewards came into the away dressing room and told the players that the Sunderland supporters, who numbered about 15,000 that particular day, were unprepared to leave Main Road until such time as the Sunderland players went back out to see them. Now, in that moment, I wasn't sure what kind of reception we were going to get, bearing in mind that we had been relegated. Mm -hmm. And I was the first player ready and I walked down the tunnel at Main Road, and as I looked to the left, all of the Manchester City supporters had vacated the stadium, and I looked to the right to see the thousands and thousands of Sunderland supporters gathered behind one goal and round the corner a little bit, and it felt to a man, woman and child that the ground just started chanting, Kira and Ki and this wonderful sign of affection at a time when they must have been f- of feeling particularly low yeah. is something that will always stay with me. And it's very difficult to say that one of the greatest memories you have as a Sunderland footballer is in the immediate aftermath of being relegated. But at a wholly personal level, that was a wonderfully joyous moment for me. But certainly in terms of performances, then the West Ham game, because it was, you know, I was so young, I was only, you know, I was 18. Um, that would be a, a very fond memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can speak for me. Me, me dad reckons you're one of his favourite players when he was when he was younger. So, I mean, you know, it's... I, well, when he was, I, I can, I can when he was you younger what... and you're making me feel older, <laughs> there you go. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, do you want to jump in, Johnny? Yeah, so um, I was going to ask about you had to retire at the age of 22, is that right? 21. 21. Mm. Okay. And um, so how, so was it a gradual thing? Did you expect that this would happen or is it? No, it's something that began to surface in the summer of 1992. So not long after we'd been to Wembley and the FA Cup final, we returned to pre-season training. And I started to notice that I was experiencing a lot of pain and discomfort in my lower right leg. And over the period of the next four, five, six months, it began to become become much more consistent, much more severe in terms of how painful it was. And despite the fact that I'd made numerous complaints about it to Steve Smelt, the sports therapist at the club, there wasn't any sign that it was going to be 
advanced to get a more proficient or professional opinion. And what was discovered subsequently was that if it had been established around about the first time I was, you know, expressing such concerns, then it may have been that a much more straightforward procedure could have been used to try to rectify the problem. So it wasn't a typical football and injury. It was something that I had been born with, which had deteriorated over time and then started to become much more notable by the time I was about 19. Mm. And, of course, several procedures took place and, unfortunately, they were unable to basically remove the blockages in the arteries, which, of course, was the source of the problem. And it effectively meant that I, you know, I was no longer able to play football, so... Um, so, but I'm, you know, for some years after, there was a, definitely a sense of embitterment. But owing to the fact that I still live in this area, owing to the fact that I've developed such an affection and affinity for Sunderland, its people, and of course the supporters, I'm much more grateful now for the five years that I did get, rather than bemoan the ten or twelve years that I was unable to realise. So. I'm always conscious that there's people around me almost at any given moment that would give their right arm to put on that red and white striped shirt once. Mm-hmm. And I was able to not only do it on a number of occasions, but I was also able to do it with people chanting my name on a very regular basis. So I would never consider myself unfortunate. When I was okay. six years old till being 16, I had a dream of being a professional footballer and I was able to do it. Mm. And there are thousands, tens of thousands, millions around the world who would love the opportunity, but for whatever reason don't get it. So um, that, I would like to think, answers the question. Mm-hmm. That's very well said, I think. Very well said. So just one more question, Kieran. Mm-hmm. If you had to make up a five-a-side team now of... Sunderland players that you've either played with or seen? Does it have to be Sunderland players? Yes. yes. Is there no technical uh, technicalities or loopholes that I can exploit? That, and depends include... on your, that depends on your loophole. Right. Well, I was going to include a player who I played alongside for Ireland, but who managed Sunderland. I'll let you have it. Okay, thank you. Well, I would probably have to pick Tony Norman, because although he might not be a household name for many Sun- some Sunderland fans perhaps and certainly footballing fans in a broader context he was exceptional in the time that I was at the club he was a Welsh internationalist for those that don't know he would have played a lot lot more times for the Welsh national side if it wasn't for the fact that he was understudy to the great Everton and Wales goalkeeper Neville Southall yeah. so Tony Norman would be in, in, in goals if I was allowed to play a 2-1-1 formation I think that's pretty standard in is fives, that, yeah. That that, that's, that's what my team okay. used to play. Mind that, you, my team won three games. I know games it's not very radical. I'm sure Pep would do it differently. <laughs> yeah. But if it was 2-1-1, then I would probably have John Kay playing on the right-hand side simply because as much as many people know about his wonderful and wacky character, he was actually a very good defender. I did not like playing against him in training. He was very good at intimidating me. He didn't make any secret of the fact that he felt one good way to stop me was to do it psychologically as much as physically, which he did on any number of occasions. So it would be John Kay. And alongside him, 
I would probably go for Bolly. Bolly, like John Kay, wasn't overly kind or respectful of the fact that I was one of their teammates in training. They both were very physical. They, of course, would try to excuse it as a tough love approach, which was designed to improve your mental strength as you were mm-hmm. developing as a footballer. And then, if I'm allowed to include myself or the standard practice, oh, of course, to yeah. yourself, yeah, 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 then it would be me up front, right, with a license to roam, as it were, with <laughs> with, with Roy Keane. Yeah. Now, somebody like myself who wasn't a great tackler by any stretch of the imagination, who wasn't physical towards opponents, would feel great comfort in having three teammates alongside you of John Kay, Kevin Ball and Roy Keane. Um, Apart from anything, if you're asking me to pick a team of players that I played alongside, I would actually just be frightened to leave Roy Keane out. Yeah. (laughs) Just on the off chance that he gets to hear this. (laughs) <laughs> it takes great offence at the fact yeah, that he's yeah. been omitted but um, so yeah um, that, there we go that's a hard team like that is a well, well they are they're the hard ones you know yeah. I, I would just like the fact that they would get me the hopefully get me the ball and, oh yeah yeah know, I mean that, that team me. that team rocks up the goal Sunderland crikey ah yeah everyone vacate Kevin Ball used to say to me Work, you know, work this out if you can, because 25 years after it happened, I still can't. He would say to me during training, quite often after he'd knocked me six foot in the air, Kieran, I, I don't mean to hurt you, but I mean to whack you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, as if I would take great consolation from lying of, on of the course, ground, yeah, blood yeah. pouring out me. Well, thanks for that, Kevin. Well, That's yeah, very well, noble. Yeah, it is. That, that, know, that makes so, it all right, um, obviously. But, um, he, you know that that was the way he was. You know the Kevin Ball that so many fans seen on a regular basis at Roker Park at the Stadium of Light or playing away from home was no different to what you got in training. No, um, he's that was just his DNA. I know people would say, "Oh, I love Bolly because he would run through a brick wall for Sunderland." Well, the actual truth is that he would run through a brick wall for any team that mm-hmm. he played there's no doubt however he does have a special affection for this club oh I must do the fact that he still lives in the area he works for the club I mean mm-hmm. he is to all intents and purposes Mr Sunderland yeah absolutely so I think so thank you very much Kieran and Finley for those little um, uh, impromptu interviews there I think those are both excellent okay can, just... I, can I just say thank you very much for asking me to come on oh you're very welcome you're very welcome it's been an absolute pleasure just Great before we sign off yeah <laughs> just before we sign off we're going to have one more little thing all we're going to do is just give our score predictions for the Bristol Rovers game and then the subsequent Barnsley game so we'll start with you Johnny what do you reckon just fire some numbers at us okay so since I am going I don't want to go all the way down there and be disappointed so um, I'm going to go for another 2 nil Sunderland win at R- Rovers yes uh, Barnsley Mm. Is there not a game be- There's a game between There's a game against Wickham at the weekend Oh right Nah no, forget Wickham we'll Oh yeah forget Wickham Yeah So do we still have the Barnsley one or Yeah okay. yeah go for the Barnsley yeah, those, those are our crunch games um, In the near future I'll go 1-0 at Sunderland on In the one. Barnsley game All yes. right, Three goals scored Non-conceded Yeah Tremendous <laughs> well, we'll see. What do you reckon Kevin? I, th- I can see Sunderland 
getting to Wembley, but I believe that it might go beyond the 90-minute mark. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know, are we at the stage of the competition where extra time's involved, or is it straight to penalties as oh, it has I, been? I think in the checker trade you go straight to penalties, don't you? In every round? Oh. Right, I, I didn't think, I think that. so, yes. Right. I believe so. Um, well, I'm going to go then for Sunderland on penalties. Fantastic. On Tuesday. Great. As for the game, oh, well, I wouldn't be as confident. No. I think a, a, a draw, given that Sunderland have got the advantage now over Barnsley if all games were played and all of that, a draw wouldn't be a bad result. So, no. a draw. Fair enough. What about you, Finlay? Um, for the Bristol Rovers game, I think we might just nick it 1 0 in 90 minutes. I'll and, take that. And the Barnsley game, I would be happy with the um, draw with their home record in our um, away form at the moment. I would just take a 1 1 draw. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think I think that that's pretty that's pretty on the dot. I think for me against Bristol Rovers, uh, I'd, I you know what I think what I think what will happen is is we'll, they'll go one nil up, and then we'll catastrophize the entire situation, and then we'll win three one in the second half because ultimately they're quite a poor team every time I've seen them. So I think we'll beat we'll beat them three one, mm -hmm. and then when we will play Barnsley, you know I'm just casually emitting the Wickham game from our fixture like it's not there, you know, <laughs> crikey what. Really bad oversight from me, but hey ho. With Barnsley, I think as you've said, Finnan, as you've said, Kieran, I think I would take a draw, and I think the draw is what we'll get. I think it'll be two-two, in my opinion. Okay. I'm going to go mm. for it. I'm going to go for okay. a two-two draw. I think we're going to get the point, and then we've still got the game in hand over them. So I think it'll still be optimistic, while not the perfect result, but I think it's the most realistic one. So for me, that's a three-one win over Rovers, and a two-two win over Barnsley. So two -two I think draw. So two-two win. <laughs> He said 2-2 win over Barnsley. <laughs> hey, well, I've said it now, so yeah. that's what it is. It's a 2-2 win. To be fair, though, if, if, it's a, if, if we draw 2-2 and it's then win the game, and yeah. it's a win of sorts. Yeah, yeah. It's a win in the long game. Well, okay, hmm. so... Well recovered, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, it was well recovered, except that it wasn't really, but I tried my best. Yeah, so I think we'll round it off there. So thank you very much, Finley, for joining us. You're welcome. Yep, and you're welcome back any time, lad. That was excellent. Thank you very much, Kieran. The same sentiments apply. Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, yeah, Johnny, yeah, you're still here. Yes, uh, unfortunately. Uh, no, uh, thanks, Alex, for having me on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, if you don't want to come back, that's okay. You know? Yeah, oh, well. <laughs> Josh, will be, Josh will be happy to come back. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I'm of course only joking. Some exchange betting companies run short lived promotions like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.